I'll be reading the scriptures, but will you join me in the prayer for illumination as we ask God to open our hearts? Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll be reading from 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. If you have your Bibles, you can open it to 1 Timothy. It should be on the screen if you need to read it there. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. All the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Thanks, Donna. You know, situations like this, when we can't get the lyrics to work, uh, I, I hope you see it kind of as a gospel illustration that we do not have our stuff together <laughs> as a church. We are in need of Jesus, and uh, we definitely are not trying to project an image that we are slick or that we are perfect. That just comes through in, in examples like this. Uh, we have issues too, so uh, thanks for bearing with us. We appreciate that. And Mark and the band, thanks for adapting and leading us in worship despite not having lyrics. This summer, uh, a blockbuster movie that took place uh, was Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, some of you may have seen it. It's about a, a group of uh, space aliens, it's a sequel, who save uh, the universe from annihilation. Now, this isn't a family movie. It's, it's not for young children. It's PG-13. However, it, it is a movie about family. Uh, Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, lost his mother, never knew his father, was adopted by space pirates. Uh, Gamora has a rather tense relationship with her sister due to an abusive father who happens to be a galactic supervillain. Drax, the painted muscle man, lost his wife and child. The tree-like Groot might be the last of his entire race. And Rocket, the only family uh, he has since he's genetically engineered, uh, may have been a Petri dish. So it's, it's a movie that has a lot of family themes. And for none of the characters in the film would you say that they have a normal family upbringing. Uh, throughout the movie, though, you see this ragtag bunch of, of space uh, creatures committed, committed to one another. They sacrifice for one another. They fight for one another. They never give up 
on one another. One review of the movie put it this way. The guardians always fight together and exemplify the spirit of teamwork, friendship, and unconditional chosen family bonds. Now, this is a compelling theme today, this idea of family, because for many of us, family uh, life is frayed. In, in modern culture, we've had bad family experiences, and we are living in a day and age when most of us are experiencing a lot of loneliness and a lot of alienation, and, and that's the norm for a growing number of people in our culture. I did a quick search yesterday on Google on the topic of loneliness, and, and immediately it came up with the following articles. Chronic loneliness is a modern-day epidemic. It was in fortune.com. How social isolation is killing us in the New York Times. Is modern life making us lonely? BBC. And why do we feel so lonely? USA Today. Now, this isolation is felt, it's felt throughout our culture, and, and, and unfortunately, the, the reality is it's felt in many of your lives. You, you are living this today, and it's true for Christians. We, we can feel this too, and the reality is it shouldn't be the case. It really shouldn't. Uh, that's one reason family it's such an important theme that we are articulating for our vision at King's Church. We, we expressed last week that our vision is we want to be a growing family rooted in Jesus, sharing God's love with our neighbors in the world. That's, that's full. It has a lot going on there. But it's that, that idea of family that we're going to be highlighting in the months ahead. What does that look like? for King's Church to be a family. Now, we didn't pick this vision because we're trying to meet a felt need. As I mentioned earlier, many people in our culture feel lonely. That's not why we're, we're, we're promoting that vision for our church. We're promoting this vision of family for our church because it's biblical. That's how the Bible talks about who we should be as God's people. That's the image we see time and time again. And so this sermon series for the months ahead is called We Are Family. And we're going we're gonna to be hammering away on this. And to be honest, I'll just tell you right from the start, you're going to get sick of it. You're going to get tired of hearing about it. But the reality is we need to come back to it time and time again. And so we're going to explore from Genesis to Revelation how that concept comes through God's Word. We are family. Now, I know for many of you, that's not how you view the church. Uh, for some people, the church is a social club. For some of you, the church is a place to find a spouse, or the church is a place to find friends. Uh, and, and while those are good things, those aren't bad things to want to find in your church, uh, there's more. There's more. It's, it, there's a bigger theme here that we want to explore. And so that's how Paul talks about the church here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to notice in verses 14 to 15 what Paul says. He's talking to Timothy and he says, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Notice how Paul refers to the church. He uses this phrase, household 
of God. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. Is that true of King's Church? Are we a household of God? And if we are, what does that mean for us? What are the implications? What are the implications for you if this is your church home? So we're going to spend a few moments meditating on that this morning. Now, there are, you should know there are many images that the Bible uses to describe the church. Uh, the church is described as a body. Uh, the church is described as a marriage. So there's lots of images. There's even more than that that we could talk about. But, but here we're zeroing, zeroing in on this idea of a family, a household. And it's a powerful image. We could point to many places in Scripture that talk about it. One example would be Ephesians chapter 2. There Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles trying to live together. And he describes them this way. You are no longer strangers and aliens. In other words, just because of your ethnicity and just because you've lived like this for your whole life. He says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In other words, he's trying to get them to begin to see you're a household, you're a family. He's trying to do the same thing here in 1 Timothy. What's Paul getting at by using this image? Well, in order to understand the phrase, household of God, uh, we need to understand the Greek word that Paul uses here. It's uh, oikos, and you translate that household. Now, the word can have various meanings, and the two most often spoken of by scholars here in 1 Timothy 3 is oikos as referring to family members, and oikos as referring to a building. So uh, if we look earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there Paul is describing the qualifications for an elder and a deacon, an officer, a leader in the church. And at one point in verse 4, Paul says this about an elder. He says, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity. And so there Paul is using household to refer to the, me the family members. So in other words, if you were to talk about the Mather household, you would be talking about Jason, my wife Olivia, my sons Carter and Teddy, and my daughter Lucy Carroll. That is the Mather household. But what we see even in our passage this morning going on into verse 15, notice what Paul describes when he talks about the household of God. He goes on to say, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Interesting that he uses that language. Now, I think I have a slide of a buttress. If you've been to Europe, you've seen churches with these flying buttresses. A buttress is used to support a building. So it's interesting that Paul is using imagery of an actual house. So in that instance, if you were to talk about the Mather household, you would be talking about 5276 Abbey Field Street in Long Beach, our actual house. So what is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about the family members? Is he talking about a building? Well, this is what's so wonderful about Paul and the depth of what he writes about is he's actually, I think, speaking of both. He's talking about the household of God 
from those two perspectives. So what he's saying when he says household of God, he's making this unique claim on what this family involves, entails, and who owns it. Because he uses that phrase of God, what Paul is actually saying is that this household, this family, God owns it, and God dwells in it. God owns it, and God dwells in it. So let's look at this household of God. So first, God owns this household. The church is God's possession. If we were to jump to 1 Peter chapter 2, we would see Peter talking about the church in this way. There, Peter describes us this way. He says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Possession. God owns the church. It's his possession. It's his dear, beloved possession. That's how the scriptures speak of us. That is one reason why our church is named King's Church. We wanted to be reminded that this church does not belong to its pastor, and this church does not belong to you. This church belongs to our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is trying to get across here when he says, the household of God. That we are a family that belongs to him. That it's Jesus' church and we exist to glorify him. Now, that is why Paul is so concerned about our conduct. And that is why he's writing this passage. If you recall what we read in verses 14 and 15, Paul says, I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. In other words, how we conduct ourselves is a reflection on the owner of this church. Now, one incident that's been happening on our street for the past several months is we we found out a, a, a house up the street. Some not very nice things have been happening at that house, and the neighborhood has been very concerned, let's say. And so... Uh, we've been trying to take steps to address it. Now, the, the complication is that the owner of the house doesn't live in the house. It's actually rented out by others. The owner of the house lives in Canada. <laughs> and so here we are as a neighborhood wanting to address the, the behavior of the people that's living in the home. And the owner lives in Canada. And there's this disconnection Uh, We're trying to to address the problem, and and we don't have anyone to go to. Finally, we've got a hold of this person, and they were very troubled by what was going on in the house, and they're actually going to try to sell it. And so there you have a, a situation where the owner actually was hurt and offended by what was happening, did not want this to happen on their property, something that they owned, something that they were affiliated with. And it's the very same thing here that Paul's trying to get us to see, that how we conduct ourselves as the household of God, as the family members of God, matters to him. It matters to him. The reality is that what's unique, though, about this house of God 
is that God certainly doesn't live in Canada. Okay, this is the gospel truth that's so incredible about what we believe as Christians, that God doesn't live out there. God lives within us. God lives within you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Him, God dwells in you through the Spirit. So this is where the twofold dynamics of household meaning family members and household meaning building actually merge together because you, the family members, are also the building. You are the building. Because the Spirit of God lives within you. And that's what Paul's trying to get across to us here in the passage. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you'll, you'll recall the story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. There's this Samaritan woman who was coming from a race of people who had a different opinion from the Jewish people of where worship should take place. A worship that would honor God. And this this Samaritan woman poses the question to Jesus. She says this, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. And Jesus comes back with a reply. He says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. What this is saying, what Jesus is pointing to, is that worship will no longer happen in a building. That worship happens wherever the people of God are. It's not Jerusalem. It's not in Samaria. It's wherever the people of God are because the temple of the living God has now become the people of God. So you and I are not only the family members of the household, we are the building of the household. Now the implications of this should be startling for you because I hope you're beginning to see where I'm going with this. That means... That King's Church meets here at the Petroleum Club on Sunday, but the Petroleum Club is not the church. That while we meet here on Sunday morning, the church, King's Church, does not stay at the Petroleum Club. King's Church is released after this service, and King's Church takes up residence in South Bay, in Paramount, In Bellflower, in Fullerton, in Irvine, and in Long Beach. King's Church is scattered. The household of God goes out into the world. And I hope you see the importance of this concept that Paul is trying to get us to see that the household of God is the people of God. It's you, it's me. And that our behavior and our conduct as a family matters extremely. It's extremely important to our Father in heaven. He goes on when he says, I'll go back to this image of a pillar. When Paul says that we are a pillar and buttress of the truth, what Paul is saying is that our conduct supports 
invalidates our beliefs. Not validate in the sense that we make it true, but validates it to the world that what we believe is true. It's an apologetic. It makes the case that what we believe as Christians is true and real. That is why our behavior and conduct as the people of God is so important. Because the way that we treat one another as family, the way that we interact with one another as family, will either dishonor and disgrace, not disgrace, but at least in the eyes of our culture, they'll be left shaking their head going, Christianity is a joke. You say you believe these things, but you certainly don't act like it. And I know some of you have had those experiences in churches that have gone through splits, that have uh, been very divisive. And those are very hurtful experiences. And I know you've been through that, and it's caused you to question, gosh, is any of this true? See, that was Paul's concern here in writing to Timothy. He's saying that your behavior, your conduct as the family of God will either be a buttress to your beliefs or it'll, be either be, or it'll be an argument against it. And of course, what Paul does, he ends that passage with a hymn that describes the glorious truths that we believe about Jesus Christ manifested in the flesh. That Jesus came into the world to die for us, to be raised from the dead. That this is a glorious truth that we hold, that Jesus Christ loves us and pursues us, that shows us the grace of, of God in flesh, and now we are called to be his people and to live that out. And that is what Paul wants us to see. He wants us to be humbled by that. And I love A.W. Tozer's, the way he describes this importance of our unity as God's people. He makes this point, he uses the imagery of a tuning fork. Maybe, I don't know if any of you have used one in tuning a piano. I think I have a slide here. Uh, if, you, if you understand the concept, you, you, you tune the piano to this fork. And A.W. Tozer, in talking about it, is trying to make the point that as the people of God, as the family of God, we cannot focus on unity, we cannot focus on family, and think that is the thing that's going to draw us together and make us family. The thing we have to focus on is God himself, is Jesus he puts it this way. He says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are the one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meet together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be, were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship? See, this is our temptation in talking about family over the next couple of months. We can be so focused talking about family that that becomes the thing we're striving for instead of the heart of God. Instead of God himself. But if you stand next to me and we join hands and we're both looking at God, we're both following Christ, then family will be the natural byproduct. Be the natural byproduct. And so that is the decision that we have as King's Church as we move forward in the months ahead, as we talk and explore about this idea of family and what it looks like 
Because the reality is, I think many of us would say, we're not there. We have a lot of work to do. But family, for many, is a decision. And, and, and I'll bring you back to that quote about the guardians. You know, I love that last phrase, the unconditional chosen family bonds. And I would like to, to replace guardians with the people of King's Church, that the people of King's Church always fight together and exemplify the spirit of teamwork, friendship, and unconditional chosen family bonds. Do you believe that that is a choice? That that is a decision? And what Paul's telling us in 1 Timothy, it is a reality that we need to wake up to. And so I invite you into that. And I hope you'll join us in that journey. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, there's so much in this passage. And in the months ahead, we're going to explore more the elements of what it means to be family. I thank you um, for a chance just to kind of dip our toes in the water here. To be reminded to be reminded, Jesus, this is your church, that we are your people. I pray that that identity would begin to bleed into our lives. And through our conduct, we would begin to reflect what it means to be family, Lord, that we would begin to pursue each other, that we would begin to be patient with each other, that we would love each other unconditionally, that the fruit of this glorious reality would become true in our lives we would be drawn to you, and as we're drawn to you, our differences would melt away, that we would not allow those differences to separate us, to divide us, that in fact we would see past those differences and see you. And I pray for that truth to be revealed even in this meal we're about to take as we look to take communion. Lord, make our unity a reality through the power of your Spirit. We are helpless without you. And so I pray that you would do that even this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.